Good morning. Today's scripture reading is from Hebrews chapter 13, verses 1 through 6. Let brotherly love continue. Do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers, for thereby some have entertained angels unawares. Remember those who are in prison, as though in prison with them, and those who are mistreated, since you are also in the body. Let marriage be held in honor among all, and let the marriage bed be undefiled, for God will judge the sexually immoral and adulterous. Keep your life free from love of money, and be content with what you have, for he has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. So we can confidently say, the Lord is my helper, I will not fear, what can man do to me? May the Lord bless the reading of his word. Thank you, Jen. Good morning, everybody. Good morning. There's some hard words in the passage today, and so it's going to be some tougher parts in the sermon today. And I say that unashamedly, even when it's difficult, some things may be difficult to hear, but at, at our church, Terra Nova Church, we don't avoid the hard things. And so there'll be some of that this morning. What I'd like to do is read to you a prayer that I wrote down in regards to this passage of Hebrews 13, 1 through 6. And if you'd like to, in your head, not out loud, but in your head, if you'd like to repeat it, I'm going to read it slowly. This is the prayer. Father, to live as you have called me to is at times easy and natural, at other times taxing and burdensome, at times seemingly impossible, unbearable. But since it is you, Jesus, my God, who laid down your life for me, I will lay my little life down in your name. As we're starting off 2024, we are finishing off the book of Hebrews. We've gone through chapters 1 through 12, and now we find ourselves with one chapter to go, Hebrews chapter 13. And what we find is that this, this chapter looks quite a bit different than the first 12. This chapter has a lot of punchy, short commands of how to live, how to follow Christ in light of all we've learned about him, his superiority, his majesty, the fact that Jesus is better and worth pursuing and following no matter what and not reverting back to what we used to follow and believe and have as the aim of our lives. We see in this passage some of the practical day-to-day examples of what it means to be a Christ follower. And so we're going to finish off chapter 13 in the next two weeks. After that, I'm just going to give you a little, tiny little preview. We're going to get into an, an outreach type sermon series. We're going to call it Evangelism Like Jesus, because who else do we look to? He's the best evangelist that's ever lived. And so I, I can't wait to start that series, and I have half of my foot heart already there, but I can't do that yet. We have to wait. We have two more Two more messages in Hebrews. Next week, we'll finish off the rest of chapter 13. But before we get there, let's dig into what we are told, what is revealed in Hebrews 13, 1 through 6 for us. 
we see that God wants us to use our homes in honor of the Lord, our time in honor of the Lord, our bodies in honor of the Lord, our money, our resources in honor of the one who will never leave us and never forsake us. Others may not understand, and more than that, others may ridicule and mock for following Christ in some of the ways he asks us to, commands us to. But our hope, our confidence is not in other people, but in God himself. The main idea for Hebrews 13, 1 through 6 is this. Christ followers obey God's commands because we care more about him than anyone. We follow God's commands, including the ones we read about here in Hebrews 13. We follow Christ's commands because we care more about him than anyone. So the way that I see this passage is broken up is first, in verses 1 through 5, there's this charge for believers, these short commands. There's a bunch of them, and I'm going to categorize them into five, but there's more than that. In verses 1 through 5, the charge for Christians. And then verse 6 ends with the reason we follow this, the reason we strive to follow God's commands is because we care more about him than we do anyone else or their opinions. Concern for God alone, verse 6. That's the direction for the message. So first, the charge for Christians. Verses 1 through 5, I'm not going to read it again. You just heard it. Jen just read it for us. But what we see here are commands, practical, tangible, daily evidences that a person has a relationship with Jesus. It doesn't mean we, we do all of these commands exactly the way we're supposed to do it all the time. Certainly not. But there is a striving. There is an attempting to follow God. Why? Because we love him. Do we not? Jesus said, if you love me, you will obey my commands. Jesus said, why do you call me Lord and not do what I've told you? Genuine believers strive to follow the real God, not one we've made up in our minds, the real Christ. If we tell him, maybe you've heard that maybe this is part of your story or someone you know that will say something like, look, I get it. I'll follow God eventually, like later. After I do my own thing just a little bit longer, maybe in, maybe in a couple years from now or 10 years from now, if someone said to you, yeah, I care about you. I, I love you even. And in five to 10 years from now, after I, whatever, then I'll show, I'll show you that's the case. Would you believe them? It's insincere, is it not? No. If we love him, we attempt to follow his command. So I broke it up into five. First, and you'll see it in the verses here, let brotherly love continue. We're going to talk about each one of these. Let brotherly love continue, number one. Number two, do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers. Number three, remember those in prison and those who are mistreated. That's technically two for... In, in commands number three, four, and five, it's really two commands that are, that are put into one. So remember those in prison and those who are mistreated. That's three. Number four, let marriage be held in honor and let the marriage bed be undefiled. And then command number five, keep your life free from love of money and be content with what you have. These are the, these are the commands that we're going to walk through this morning. These charges for Christians and following the Lord. If you haven't noticed, these are huge topics, are they not? 
These are huge topics. So I'm going to attempt to be brief <laughs> on each one of them. So let's start out. Let brotherly love continue. And by the way, I'm going to get help with one of these commands with someone who has a lot more experience in, in one of them. But first, let brotherly love continue. That brotherly love, it's where we get the word, uh, it's where Philadelphia comes from, the word phileo. It's one of the Greek words for a specific kind of love. He says, let brotherly love continue. Sibling-type love. Sister to sister, sister to brother, brother to brother to brother kind of love. And he's saying, I see that in the church. He's talking to the Hebrews. He's saying, let the brotherly love, the, the sibling, the familial-type love that I'm seeing, keep doing that. And I can so very gladly say in, in our church, I see this kind of love routinely. The brotherly, the sisterly kind of love in our church. You know you spot it when you see people interacting and you wonder to yourself, just how much time have you spent together? Like, you know, like siblings know each other, right? Siblings spend time together. Siblings are comfortable with one another. And I see that consistently, routinely, of people that you can tell. There's a sibling type of love that is happening here. And with the brotherly or sisterly kind of love, when you really, really know someone, you become really, really comfortable with them, what happens sometimes? Right, you butt heads, there's irritation, there's things you gotta work through, I see people smile, like yes, right? And that happens, and we work through it, right? Lord willing, in love, because we care about each other, and we, and we, we can actually have stronger relationships when we work through the things that b- might bother us or irritate us about each other, this sibling-type type love. What would, what would concern me more is if I never saw that, if I never saw p- our church working through problems with each other. Because why? Because that means we're not actually getting that close to each other. Are you really involved in other people's lives, brothers and sisters in the faith? And as we know, that happens most of all, not within the one, two, three, four walls of this building. And there are many ways to get connected if you're not, and we'd love to help connect you more. Do not let brotherly love stop. Let it continue. And can I just remind us that if we do all of the other commands that Christ gives us absolutely flawlessly, everything else we're about to talk about, how we use our bodies, our homes, our time, our money, but we miss the love part, guess what? We miss all of it. All of it. We gain nothing. We are nothing. When the world would would look at us and see rule followers, they're going to see people that think they're better than others and have their nose up and are doing it because look at me, I can follow all these commands, I I got my life together, I'm moral, and they will rightly say, I don't want to be a part of that. I don't want to be a part of that either. But at the same time, please understand, even when we do it well, even when we love each other well and strive to follow God's commands together well as we should, there will still be those outside of the church that say, judgmental hypocrites terrible. We know this, do we not? But we can know, we can strive to do it out of love. I was in a, uh, a gathering, a meeting not too long ago in our church, and someone, as they prayed, so very sincerely said something like, I, God, I love every person in this room. And we all knew that was sincere. And it just kind of made me take a step back and remember that we're here not primarily, it was beautiful, We're not here primarily to sharpen each other's skills or to learn or to 
It's out of love for God and for one another. And he gives us this love for his people, for his church. It's why we're here. It's out of love. Let brotherly love continue. It's number one. First Peter 1.22 says, Having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth for a sincere brotherly love, love one another earnestly from a pure heart. It's still going to take effort and work and earnestness. You don't just walk into a community of love. You've got to be part of it. You've got to make it. It doesn't just happen. Let brotherly love continue. Command number two. Do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers. If you remember in the One Another series, we talked about hospitality primarily in regards to our church and opening up our homes where we could see the breeding ground for prayer, for confession, for sharing encouragement and and wisdom. It happens when we get to know each other, when we're in each other's houses, spending time together, where that love can actually grow and, and become real and sincere when we open up our homes. But it's saying here specifically, do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers, as in people you don't know particularly well, people that are outside of the faith. It's one of the best ways that we can, I'm not going to get too much ahead of myself when we get into the evangelism series of presence, but it's how we can really bring people into, into, to know the Lord, when we get to know them, when we invite them in, when we share a meal with them. Are we ready to invite people that we don't know well, and to be hospitable. I'll tell you, a goal for Anna and I for 2024, one of our goals is to have more people inside of our apartment that do not know the Lord this year for meals, just to get to know them, to be able to share our story, to be able to hear from them. And I understand that's going to take, that's going to take priority, that's going to take scheduling, that's going to take saying no to some other things, but we're convinced, we're convicted, we want to see more of that. We want to have people that don't know the Lord over. So my, my hope is, in talking about this command of being hospitable, that those of us who are already striving for that and opening up our homes, and that it's not an added burden to hear this, but an encouragement, keep it up. But for those of us so far in life who have been the kinds of people that have not been helpful with hospitality, not that everyone has to open up their homes all the time. There would be a lot of invites and not a lot of people going anywhere if everyone's hosting all the time, right? But people that do can always can use some, some help, right? So maybe this could be the first year that you start offering rather than only going or hearing about, but asking, how can I help you? How can I help lessen the burden a bit to be hospitable? And there's a fun surprise in this passage. In opening your front door, you never know when an angel's going to walk in. Isn't that, he just kind of drops that there. (laughs) You know? It's one of these reminders that life is more than just what you see. Life is more than just the material world, and you live and you die, and that's it. There's a spiritual realm out there. It's real. And there are examples, Genesis 18, angels show up at Abraham's front door. And you don't know when that might happen to you. And I've debated for a little while, do I tell a couple stories here uh, about that? But I've, 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 I've heard a couple of great suspicions of potentially meeting angels. And if you know any, I'd love to hear it from you. But regardless, he calls us to be hospitable. Command number two, do not neglect to show hospitality 
to strangers. Command number three, remember those in prison and those who are mistreated. Verse three, just real quick, remember back in Hebrews 10, there were people in their own, that they knew, believers, brothers, sisters, that were imprisoned for their faith. And they cared for them. They, they showed up they, as if part of their own body was mistreated in that way, falsely imprisoned. They showed up. And I would, I would hope that if people in our church are imprisoned for their faith, we would be there for each other as well. But there's also a place for the kind of ministry to those who are both mistreated, and that's very broad, and we can go a lot of directions with that, and those who are in prison. There are plenty of opportunities for ministry for people that are imprisoned. And rather than me sharing with you some examples of that or trying to, to, to do that, we have someone in our church, Sue Halvadel, love it, already getting up, come on up, uh, who has a lot of experience with prison ministry. And if some of these examples of some of these commands are making you feel a bit uncomfortable or outside of your comfort zone, there's more to come. But I wanted, I wanted Sue to share about some of her experiences. It didn't start necessarily by being comfortable about ministering in these ways. But if you could share, let me test for you. Does this, can you guys hear me? Excellent. Hello. Okay. I have been so blessed to have done about 10 years of prison ministry right in our own backyard here at the Rensselaer County Jail. About 2010 or 11, a girlfriend said, would you like to join me and do the Bible study with me? Come as a guest. You don't need clearance. Just come in and see what it's like. And I fell in love with it, even though the sight of all these police cars, uniforms, banging doors, and um, prisoners was terrifying. But I said, you know what, Lord, you have commanded us. And if the spirit of the Lord is within us, we can carry your truth into the darkest places. So I had a, a precious time of studying the book of John, bringing in movies, showing the women that Jesus was a real person, that, that uh, Easter had uh, relevance to our own faith, that you have a chance to uh, be redeemed, to, to experience um, the sorrow for your sins or the, the healing of your experiences. And we brought in Bibles and the net most women had never seen one. And we had um, just an incredible time of sharing in the Holy Spirit. He never failed to show up with us. We walked out of there just on cloud nine. <laughs> it was incredible to see not only their hearts changing, but ours in the sense of judgments. And um, But for the grace of God, you know, we could have been in jail with them. I said, ladies, if you ever find us here, you know, we, we need you. We don't know the future, but we do know that we have the Holy Spirit in us, and he gives us the courage to do what he commands. So in obedience, you are able, you are. Don't let the enemy, you know, destroy that a possibility. Um, 
it was so precious to see them come alive in hearing uh, that Christmas was actually Jesus' birth celebration. You know, for so long they have done what the world tells them to do. And many of them felt like they had nothing to give. And yet, when we gave them paper, they would color and draw and send us notes to um, take home. Or they would write out prayer requests that they had, you know, just broken hearts in many ways uh, that we could pray for over the week and over the year. Some stayed more than... So it was... um, an amazing experience that if you have opportunity, not just to do a Bible study, but to, to go with a friend who is visiting someone, to um, pray for someone who is in jail or prison, or pray for those on, in the news that have horrible things happen to them. There's, there's such, such amazing things that God has um, brought into our past as Christians. Be alert, be aware, just like an angel. But you would certainly feel the treasures of heaven are yours. So that's all. That's good. Thank you so much. Love it. Thank you, Sue. I, I love hearing testimonials um, and topics from more voices in our church. And I just really appreciate Sue sharing for us some of her experience uh, with prison ministry. So those are the first three. Let brotherly love continue. Do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers. Number three, remember those in prison and those who are mistreated. Now we get on to number four. Let marriage be held in honor and let the marriage bed be undefiled. As we know, this topic of marriage and sexual purity is becoming increasingly difficult to talk about with any type of public setting, including within, within church. But out of fear for God and not the opinion of man, let's talk about what the word says. Let, the, let marriage be held in honor, as in highly esteemed, respected, God designed it. It was God's idea. Marriage was God's idea. And I understand that as we, I'm about to define what marriage is and really just some basic scriptural truths about marriage, but I understand that even bringing up the topic, some of us here are really hoping that, can you please talk about singleness also? Can you also please talk about separation or divorce? Can you also please talk about just the struggles that happen within marriage in every, in every way how marriage can be, can be difficult? Some of you might want me to talk more about just the gift of marriage or the gift of singleness or the gift of um, children. Or There's a lot of different directions we could go when you bring up marriage. But what I'd like to do is emphasize what I see the passage emphasizing which is simply honoring the institution of marriage and specifically the marriage bed or sexual purity. So that's the direction. There was a little bit of, a, of a, another pointed direction that wasn't planned for last week, but with the snow day and the passage on my mind, I just believe God had me go in a specific direction towards the end of this with sexual purity. But what is marriage? 
marriage is one man and one woman who leave their families to create one new family. It's one man and one woman who leave their families in order to create one new family. And the husband and the wife are, are, meant, are called to relentlessly put the needs, put the best interest of the other on top of their own, above themselves. Specifically, Ephesians 5 and elsewhere, husbands are called to love their, their wives sacrificially as they lead them. Lovingly lead their wives sacrificially. That's the emphasis of the call of the husband. And the emphasis of the call on the wife is to sacrificially respect and submit to her husband. I understand some of these things, and just saying them can bring about so many thoughts about what you might think or what others might think about it. But it's, it's simple, straight from scripture truths about what God has revealed about marriage. It's a man and a woman who leave their families to create one new family. They're to put each other relentlessly above themselves, specifically with the husband sacrificially leading in love her, her, his wife and the wife to sacrificially submit and respect her husband. And it's supposed to be for life. It's a lifelong attempt, is it not? to do that, to be like Jesus in the way he's called us to be. And it's supposed to be for life, which reveals the beautiful truth that God, our, we are the bride of Christ, and that he does not leave us, even when he sees the ugliest things inside of us, who we really are. He doesn't abandon us. He doesn't leave us. Marriage is not an end in itself. It's revealing the truth of Christ's relationship with the church in some mysterious way, he tells us. And the command here is to honor what God has designed, what God has put in place, marriage. And then specifically, he says, let the marriage bed be undefiled. Here's another sentence for you. Sex is a gift reserved for a man and a woman in the covenant of marriage. Sex is a gift, and it is, reserved for a man and a woman in the covenant of marriage. Outside of that, everything outside of that is destructive, whether we understand it, whether we see it or not. I, someone once described it as fire. Fire is such a wonderful, beautiful, useful, helpful reality right, in life when it's used the way it's supposed to be used. But what happens when fire is used in a way it's not supposed to be used? Destruction, leaving everything in ashes around it. Let the marriage bed be undefiled. Sex a, a gift within the covenant of marriage. And look, I don't live in a box behind Walmart. I understand how everything is in, those sent in that sentence is so counter to what the world will tell you and encourage you towards over and over and over and over again. But why should, we, why should we listen to what God has commanded? Honor marriage. Keep the marriage bed undefiled. What I would like to do is tell you, kind of put on my reason, rational hat, and talk through some of the ways 
that it can destroy lives if we go against the grain of what God has designed. I would love to start talking about the selfishness of sex outside of marriage. I would, I would rather go down the road of the relational issues that it causes, often for a very long time. I would rather talk about broken homes and the, the increased chance of divorce by 50% or the dissatisfaction among those who repeatedly give themselves to someone only physically and not emotionally, financially, spiritually, or anything else. You're going all in physically and holding everything else back, and it's just temporary, rather when it's supposed to be a consummation, a fulfillment of a lifelong promise of marriage. I would rather talk about all those things, or the constant audition you're leaving that person that you're with when you use each other's bodies rather than using rather than within the context and the covenant of marriage. That's what I'd like to talk about, because it seems more appropriate. <laughs> what does verse 4 say, though? Why do we listen? Why should we specifically hear? What does he tell us? Let marriage be held in honor among all, and let the marriage bed be undefiled, for God will judge the sexually immoral and adulterous. Not just sometimes, but always. Let's let the word of God be enough. Can, can it just be enough? Do we, do we also have to find ten reasons why it makes sense for us? Or can we trust what God has said and heed his warnings about it? Look, if you're here and you don't know Christ and you're living however you want to, including in this, in this way and how you use your body, please understand you are playing with fire. Please understand that as the text says, God will judge the sexually immoral. You really do need his forgiveness. In every area, in every aspect of life, in every decision you've made counter to God, including this, he cares deeply. I would talk so much less about this topic if it was just up to me, believe me. But he brings it up again and again and again because it matters. It matters. You really do need God's forgiveness. If you've heard the term YOLO, probably everyone's heard that, maybe. You only live once, right? YOLO is a, is a yo half-truth, which means it's a yo lie. You don't just live once and that's it. It's, <laughs> okay, sorry. Serious, this is serious. It's not, it's not accumulate all you can, have as much pleasure as you can, make as much money as you can, do whatever you want, whatever feels right, whenever you want it. Because it's just, we're just here quickly and that's it. That is a lie. Hebrews 9.27 says it's appointed for man to die once. And after that comes the judgment. There's, a, there's life coming. But before that there is judgment. So let this be the last day you decide you're going to take your own life in your own hands and whatever the consequences are, that's what the consequences are. Let this be the day that you give your whole life, including this aspect of your life, to Jesus, the one who actually knows you and knows what's best for you and can rescue you and give you life, not just now, but forever. Real life. Let today be the day. If you're here and you're a Christian and you hear this passage and passages like it about God judging the sexually immoral and adulterous, 
what I'd like to say to you is please do not forget that the forgiveness of Jesus applies to every aspect of life, including this one, including mistakes that we've made in this area of life. Jesus forgives like he really does, fully, finally, forever, past, present, and future. He has forgiven us. So accept it. Embrace it. Let gratitude grow of all that Christ endured for us when he died for us. Let it grow. If you're here and you're following the Lord and you have been faithful in this, can I say, I don't know if I, if I ever heard someone say, I think I was 31 years old, and look, I, I didn't want to talk about this because it just seems like a, he's just patting himself on the back kind of thing, but from what we've faithfulness and reserving, waiting until marriage, but by the grace of God, I waited. By the grace of God. It's a test. If you're here and no one's ever said, hey, I'm proud of you for waiting. I'm proud of you for trusting God and what he said about being, about reserving the marriage bed for marriage. (laughs) I hope you know he really is proud. I hope you know it really does matter. I hope you know. But at the same time, please understand, if you think you're just perfect in this area, if I think I'm perfect in this area, I don't think any of us are. Remember what Jesus said? If you look at another person who's not your spouse, you look at her, you look at him with lust, you've committed adultery in your heart. Guilty. Guilty, guilty. We're all guilty. I believe only Jesus endured the full weight of this temptation and succeeded. Only Jesus. We need his forgiveness. We need him. Secondly, if we think all of this is just past tense, if we think somehow the battle's over, it's not. If we're here, we're living, we're breathing, the battle continues to honor what God has designed, to honor marriage, and to honor the marriage bed, married or not. It's ongoing. It matters what we put into our minds. It matters what we look at. It matters what we watch. It matters what we hear. It matters. And here's the direction that wouldn't have happened last week if it wasn't for the snowstorm. But speaking of keeping the marriage bed pure, pornography will prevent that truth from happening. Pornography prevents keeping the marriage bed pure. There's a website called Fighting the New Drug where I got some of this information. But pornography makes more revenue each year than all of the top tech companies combined. $13 billion and more every single year. The percentage of people that view pornography is disturbingly high. And it's not only a male problem, it is a male and a female problem. It is a young and old problem. And it's wreaking havoc in our world, in our country, among believers. The average age when someone is exposed to pornography is 11 years old. 11. And I know, I know, 
I know most people here, and I know that you're careful with what your kids watch, but just an added, please be careful of what your kids are watching. Some of you are here, and you're thinking to yourself, you're thinking to yourself, first of all, I'm keeping this secret. No one's going to know about it. Some of you are thinking that because you're thinking, it's not my fault. Maybe you're thinking, I was nine years old the first time I saw pornography. I was nine. Maybe you were eight. Maybe younger. And it's been a problem ever since. And you can't break free of it no matter how hard it seems you try. And you think, look, I'm a victim. Yes, that is, you are a victim. Eight years old, nine years old, you didn't ask for that? A problem ever since? That is, that is victimhood. But we are both the wounded, external circumstances, that wasn't my fault, I couldn't control that. We are both the wounded and the wayward. We are both affected by things we can't control and we make decisions daily. Our heart is the problem too. If you're here and you think, but it's not that big a deal, it's not really hurting anyone. I had a bunch of notes from the website of things, of reasons why we know, and I'm not even, you know, you know it's a problem. You know it's hurting not just yourself, but other people. It's affecting a lot more than we know. And if you don't deal with it, it will eat you alive. So if I have your attention, and this is something you know is a struggle in your life, let today be the last day that you refuse to deal with it. How? I think the very best way to conquer this sin, this hold, this chain that's, in, that's wrapped around you in your life, is the same way that any sin can be conquered. And that's through the chain conquering Jesus Christ. I really mean that. It's time with God. It's bringing this and every other struggle in your life to God, the one who can set you free. you got to bring it to him. Intimacy with God is the best way to break sin patterns. When you walk in the light with God, when you bring these things to him, when you're, actually, when you're really praying and talking to him about it, these things can't stay hidden and they can't keep you enslaved forever. They can't. Bring it to the Lord. Intimacy with God. And then secondly, if it's something you know you're not breaking free from, there's a reason why he has all those one another commands, including confess your sins to one another. Bring, someone, bring people in. Maybe it's your tribe. Maybe it's a few guys in your tribe if you're a guy. Maybe a few girls in your tribe if you're a girl. People that you, know, that you, try, that you can talk with about this. Let us bear each other's burdens. Let us be there and help each other. Don't keep it to yourself. Bring it to him. Bring brothers and sisters. Remember that first command, brotherly love? Familial type love? Guys, this is where it takes on flesh and blood, where it's real, where we're honest, where we don't hold things back. Let today be the last day that you're not dealing with it. This seems like a place to end, or at least to start to land the plane, but there's one more command after this. <laughs> and that is, keep your life free from love of money 
and be content with what you have. I'm going to be brief with this, but because I think the emphasis he wanted me to go was on that last command. But this is a daily, daily temptation for all of us to make money more important than God or other people. And if we are living to store up as much money as we possibly can, your life's going to be miserable and unfulfilled, and money is a master that always demands more, 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 more. And Jesus said, you can't serve God and money, so pick. And maybe that means picking, choosing every day. God, I choose you. Rather than being unhappy with what we don't have, he calls us to be thankful for what we do. 1 Timothy 6 says, As for the rich in this present age, and that's us, charge them not to be haughty, nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but on God, who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. They are to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share, thus storing up treasure for themselves as a good foundation for the future, so that they may take hold of that which is truly life. Content Christians never have money on the top of the priority list. We refuse to sacrifice our relationship with God or other people in order to follow the dead end of money wherever it leads us. N.T. Wright says, when you love something or someone, you make sacrifices for them. When you find yourself making a sacrifice of something else in your life, simply that you can follow where money is beckoning you, regard that as a danger signal. None of you are going to be surprised when I say, at the end of your life, five seconds into eternity, none of you are going to regret, oh, I should have made more money. I should have followed where money was leading rather than putting all that time into people and God and things like that. No one's going to regret it. What we will regret is not heeding what he's told us. Money doesn't guarantee anything. You can lose all of it, actually. But you can't lose God. So verse 5 says, he says, I will never leave you nor forsake you. These are some of the commands he gives to us. And look, what are some of the ways to prevent money from having a hold on your heart and being an idol in your life? It's by being givers. Money never takes a break tempting us to live for it, so we should never take a break of being joyful, regular, sacrificial givers. These are some of the commands. These are some of the ways we see that we're actually following Jesus. Letting brotherly love continue. Not neglecting to show hospitality to strangers. Remembering those in prison and those who are mistreated. Let marriage be held in honor and let the marriage bed be undefiled. Keep your life free from love of money and be content with what you have. And then at the end of it, we're reminded of why. Of how. A concern for God alone, verse 6. So we can confidently say, the Lord is my helper, I will not fear, what can man do to me? If we're going to be people that are consistently, with open hands, submitting to God our homes, our bodies, our money, our resources, our time, all of it, we're going to need his help. We're going to need him. And thankfully, This verse tells us the Lord is 
my helper. He doesn't leave us to try to tackle these challenges, these commands, this lifestyle on our own. We have him. We have his very spirit, the Holy Spirit of God within us. We have his body, the body of Christ around us. We have resources. We have his very living word of God. We have what we need. But what we sometimes do is allow the fear of man to overtake our fear of God, our love of God. We cannot let what other people think and do matter more than God himself. My favorite verse that reminds me to not take too seriously what other people think and just, you guys know I've said it multiple times, struggle of mine to care more about truly what God thinks than what you think. Ongoing struggle. One of my favorite verses, Isaiah chapter 2, verse 22. I love it. It's God speaking. He says, stop regarding man in whose nostrils is breath. For of what account is he? You're just a human. That's what he's saying. Stop regarding man in whose nostrils is breath. For of what account is he? It's truly only God's opinion that matters, guys. And girls. No one can reward like him. No one can punish like him. There is none like him. I started this message with a prayer. And if you mean it, and if you want to pray it in your mind, you can repeat it back to the Lord as I say it. Father, to live as you have called me to is at times easy and natural, at times taxing and burdensome, at times seemingly impossible and unbearable. But since it is you, Jesus, my God, who laid down your life for me, I will lay my little life down in your name. As the band comes up, I'm going to pray and remind you that there's always prayer available at the end of the service right in that corner. Please take advantage of that. Please don't leave. If you know there's things you need to be prayed for, prayed over, prayed with, if that's too long to wait, come tap me on the shoulder. There are multiple, plenty of people that would love to go pray with you if that's too long to wait as well. Let me pray. Father, thank you for your word. God, even not just at times, but often it seems is uncomfortable and makes us, makes us have to check and recheck. Am I really following the real Jesus? Do I care more about what other people think, what other people say, than you, God, my maker, my creator, my Lord, my savior? God, we can't do any of this on our own. We need you. We need you, Jesus. We need you, Holy Spirit, within us, convicting us, empowering us. And we need you, the church. We need each other. We need to be the body. God, thank you for these gifts. Thank you most of all for your presence, for your son. We pray all these things in his name. Amen.